So Matt, we uh, kind of breezed through a few albums there, and they're some of the greatest albums of all time, you know, in the 80s. Looking back at those, um, you know, from like Controversy through, let's say, um, Parade, uh, could you pull out a couple of highlights for you that maybe you actually worked on and, and what you particularly enjoyed about those records personally? Yeah, you know, um, the song Ronnie Talked to Russia. On Controversy. Yeah. The band played on that, I believe. Or was that, uh, I'm sorry, was that Jack You Off? Let's jack you off. Is that on there? It is. Oh, that was the one the band performed on. I apologize. Um, it's been so long, I can't remember exactly. But that, that was the only song the band was brought in to do a session on live with him. So, you know, he brought, he, he wanted to have the band on one, at least one track on that album. Um, that's mainly what I recall from it. Uh, and then you move on to, um, we already talked about Dirty Mind. Uh, 1999. Um, I don't know if I played on that record or the band. Name all the songs again. I can't remember which. Uh, Little Red Corvette, Delirious. Let's pretend we're married. DMSR, Automatic, Something in the Water, Free, Lady Cab Driver, All the Critics, International Lover. Yeah, we definitely didn't play on that. Wow. <laughs> Except for Lisa doing vocals on spots. And I think Dez was involved with Little Red Corvette as a guitarist. Other than that, I mean, you, maybe you can look on the credits and see you know, what, where he gave credits. I think Jill Jones was, uh, did some vocals here and there with Lisa. Uh, so love that album, but for whatever reason, he, he just didn't utilize the group on it. And then Purple Rain, um, but I love the record. I like Controversy. I love all those albums. Uh, Purple Rain, which the you know the band recorded several songs live at First Avenue in 1983, August 3rd, you know, and uh, those songs were utilized for the movie, and uh, that was great. And then you get into Around the World in a Day. Um, I did not work on that record. Parade. I don't think I played on it either. What, what were the songs on Parade again? Christopher Tracy's Parade, New Position, I Wonder You, Under the Cherry Moon, Girls and Boys, Life Can Be So Nice, Venus de Milo, Mountains, Do You Lie, Kiss, Another Lover, Sometimes It Snows in April. Yep, didn't play on that. Didn't work on that record at all. That was a Wendy and Lisa kind of album. Of course, they weren't on everything either. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the song Mountains was co-written with, that was her her music groove on that one. Um, well, on, on these records you didn't play on, though, I mean, you're, you're playing a lot of performances, you're playing all these songs. Are there a couple of them, for whatever reason, that you enjoy or you feel you're more featured on through your keyboards oh for the live stuff yeah i'm up with live um yeah i mean i liked that i liked all the songs obviously and playing on them um 
I always liked, uh, you know, the songs like When Doves Cry because, you know, I have a big solo on that song. And, you know, anything where I get to be featured as a soloist is always cool, but not extremely important, but it's always nice to have that moment in the spotlight. Um, you know, Sign of the Times, um, I like that album a lot, too. Great record. Um, it's going to be a beautiful night. I was one of the co-writers of that song. Uh, Love Sexy, and again, another album where I had no involvement. And he just handed me the record one day and goes, go learn this. <laughs> you know, We're going to go on tour. <laughs> and I went, okay. Uh, th that one had a little more of a complex sound. It did. Uh, did no was point. it that way in the playing for you also? What Say that again? Was did, did that come across in the parts you had to learn as well, or was it just the production? Um, you know, not terribly challenging. Uh, the issue was the way the keyboards get mixed in, you know, to try to listen. So I was, at that time, I would just say to our engineer, I say, can you make me special keyboard tapes off of the masters and raise those levels up or give me versions where I can really hear that stuff. And they did. They'd make special keyboard mixes for me so I could really hone in on those parts easier to learn them. Um, I thought, you know, the Batman soundtrack album, probably one of one of his most brilliant pieces of work. He did it. He did it like nothing, right? That's right. And he did it like nothing on his own with no help from anybody. Again, one of those, look, ma, no hands. You know, it's like I did it all by myself. So, yeah, I mean, you just can't beat that kind of stuff. Um, and, then, and then I was around for Graffiti Bridge and learned most of that record. And that was a good record. And then, you know, Fast forward to the Rainbow Children. 2001. And I actually, I was actually at the listening party at Paisley Park for that when it was debuted. And I thought that that record, from a technical standpoint, he had, he had reached another pinnacle as a musician. I thought it was just really brilliant from a technical aspect. I, I thought that, you know, the whole thing with the, the deep voice narrating in between songs and it's doing the storytelling. I was having a hard time understanding that guy. I really wanted to know everything he was saying, but I couldn't catch all of it. Obviously it was biblical, you know, and pre Prince has, had reached his moment of um, becoming very much way more religious and more right-centric Christian-wise than he was in the past by rejecting everything he did in the past that was overtly sexual in nature and was not swearing and doing those kinds of songs anymore, which is total. I totally respect that. Um, but again, brilliant record. And then, you know, I went back and listened to the other stuff that came between me leaving the group and, and that period about, you know, that 10-year, that 11-year period in there throughout the 90s and all those albums. 
And I, I found all that stuff was still very creative. There was one album I can't remember. Was it the Gold Experience? Maybe I listened to that. And I thought there was a, that was a whole different guy. I thought it was a whole different singer. Who's that? I didn't even recognize how he was singing anymore. <laughs> so that's what I mean. He he's like a chameleon through that whole era era, you know. Uh, and then I you know I felt like he he returned back to being Prince again. The prince I knew at one point, but um, I don't know. He was always reinventing himself through through all those time frames. And uh, personally, I, I I think he he just kept creating great stuff. And you know, people criticize him. You know, oh, he's he lost his creativity, or, or he's not as good as he was in the eighties. Da 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 da. I completely disagree with that. I think because the of the way that the music industry changed. That affected him, how he could be heard still on a mass level. And just, you know, it's like as you get older, unfortunately, those radio programmers or the record labels and whatever his relationship to Warner Brothers was hurt by him being, you know, disagreeing and with them and wanting control of his catalog and all that stuff. That affected how he was able to be heard going forward. Of course, he had a great fan base, but at the same time, he wasn't, you know, as big as Bruce Springsteen remained over those years. You know, he, he should have been just as big as Bruce Springsteen moving forward or Michael Jackson. And he, he kind of lost out on some things by either, you know, having that negative relationship with his label or, you know, those various those various reasons that never stopped him. He was still a juggernaut creatively. And I, I totally agree with you with Rainbow that. Children. What? I totally agree with you with Rainbow Children. I you do that, agree with me. Yeah. Yeah. That was his most, I thought it was his biggest uh, leap uh, from Love Sex, since Love Sexy. And I like the gold experience also. Yeah. But um, musically, it was just on to something new for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about that album, though, is he was always capable of doing that, but I don't think he wanted to do it because he was feuding with Warner Brothers. He didn't want them to have that. He didn't want that them to have that kind of album under their control. Mm-hmm. That had that, that kind of a monstrous... Because he definitely was inspired on that record and definitely could have done that record years before, but just he didn't. So anyway, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Well, it's a lot of the reasons why we still love him and so many love him so much is because he totally did it his way. Exactly. But, um, you know, I, I got to ask you about 1981. I actually brought this out here because I was I was there. I got the T-shirt. <laughs> On the Rolling Stones show. So, Oh, my gosh. Look at that. That's incredible. It doesn't fit me anymore, but I can understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? So Prince famously got booed off the stage. I I had told all of my colleagues and friends about Prince. They didn't really know him yet because he hadn't broken through big. And I said, This guy is amazing. You gotta come see him. So I was there with like seven people. We're like, okay, Scott, who is this guy? Yeah. And then he proceeded to get bottles thrown and booed off the stage, and I was like, Okay. I, I was so appalled by it. I thought it was really just a disgusting, horrible display from that crowd. 
if you think you're appalled, Dottie, I think we felt. I mean, we're we're up there being the brunt of it all. And I was shocked. I was like, I I was thought, really? Is it are is it are these people that rude? And and rude isn't even the word. They were barbaric. I mean, they were like nothing I'd ever I'd never seen that kind of behavior at a show. So in hostile. My life. Such what? Hostility. What? Such hostility. Yeah, the hostility towards Prince was was amazing. And I and I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, these are like older so-called 60s counterculture hippies, I thought. But they were, unfortunately, as as I've learned more than anything about the Rolling Stones audience. There seemed to be the dark side of the force had gravitated towards the Stones. You had the you had the Beatles. They were they, they were the Jedi, and the, the Stones. I'm sorry to say, were kind of Darth Vader's folks. You know, they were the the evil Empire. Unfortunately, and, and forgive me, Mick. We've talked before, but we didn't discuss this issue. But but when you think about it, um, you know. Sympathy for the devil, you know, I mean, just that title alone tells you something. So anyway, uh, <laughs> as much as I'm a Stones fan as well, uh, I think there was this element of, of uh, people in the audience that obviously did not get Prince. They just, they looked at one look at this kid and, and were, were offended. And I don't. I didn't understand why. I thought, wait a minute, aren't these open-minded, counterculture children of the people of the '60s, the the hippie culture? What happened to those? It was a rough time. Rough time. It was like you had all that disco, anti-disco backlash coming out of the '70s. Yeah. And uh, but but we weren't doing disco. We were. I know, but they weren't going to give him a chance. They didn't give him a chance. What? They didn't give you guys a chance. No, we we were like punk funker rocker guys at that time. I mean, Dirty Mind was a departure from from uh, I Want to Be Your Lover, which was more R and B, poppy, discoy. You know, granted there were certain songs on the first two records that were definitely of that that nature, but um, I I guess they just didn't realize that we were going this new direction with Prince, and uh, he was fusing rock and funk and punk, you know, at that time, and they didn't get it. Now, I thought, what I thought, I thought race played a part, but well, I think race did too. But you know, Rick J or not Rick James, um, uh, you know, Mick Jagger got it, and that's the guy who really loved Prince in those early years and wanted to uh, bring him to the public, which is why we were asked to open for them. So, you know, Mick was open to it, and I and I know there's people out in the in the that audience who who got us. Unfortunately, there were those. Yeah, and you were there. What, what were your friends' reaction when they saw the group? They they didn't really get enough of Prince to really be able to judge. Yeah, we, we only did like what three songs, and then he was out of there. You know, like three. And, four. and actually, I I didn't know if it was planned this way, but to me, it seemed like Prince tried to like sort of do more of like a Jimi Hendrix kind of thing to try to win them over. That's right. And it still didn't fly. Yeah. It could have been a race thing. That could have been part of it. But that still surprises me a bit. I'm not so sure. 
so much of that was the issue because they loved Jimi Hendrix back in the day. That crowd, he's the one. Yeah, you know how how upset was Prince after that? Well, he, you know, he he had to leave the stage because he, you know, there were bottles, you know, just barely missing his face, and of course, you know, we were all hit by pelted by things, uh, but he was disappointed and he, he literally left and got on a plane and went back to Minneapolis. And then we had to, um, Mick Jagger called us, you know, we were still, the rest of us were still in our hotel in LA and he called our rooms, you know, and wanted to know how Prince was doing, blah, blah, blah. Des Dickerson got on the phone with him and, and, and said, I, I don't know what to do. He's already flown back to Minneapolis. And Mick said, well, can you get him on the phone with me? And we persuaded Prince to talk to Mick directly. And Mick talked him into coming back and doing the following show, which was that Sunday. So we played Friday, got booed off the stage, and we had a day off. And we were supposed to do that Sunday anyway. So he flew back. And then after Sunday, we were supposed to go on and do a few more shows in other stadiums with them. Uh, so he came back and did the, the second show to the same result of the, the you know pelting and booing. So, but we played longer. We we hung in there longer on Sunday on purpose, just to you know stand up to him. And then we got out of there. Uh, but Prince, he didn't care. He just you know he, he was he was defiant and just behaved like well, you know, growing pains. And this is not our crowd. This is these aren't our our people. You know, these aren't our fans. So we'll just move on and, and develop our own fan base. And that's that's all you can do in the face of that. Well, when, when I saw you guys come back after that to the Santa Monica Civic. Yeah. In like 82 or it was, it was the next time out after that Coliseum thing. Mm -hmm. I thought, what a fantastic, um, like way to come back so strong, you know? And that was a great show. And I'll actually never forget um, I think it was during Head. It might have been during Let's Work, where Prince was playing the synthesizer with one hand and the guitar with the other. And, I mean, the groove was just mind-blowing. You guys were just killing it. Yeah. Yeah, the band, I mean, all aspects of any group he, he ever had were everybody's talented and great, great bands. He always had great sidemen and, and knew how to... Um, do great arrangements and and you know work the band into tight a tight machine juggernaut freight train thing you know that he he was so good at and um, that that was his his uh, one of his biggest strengths and uh, he always surrounded himself with great people I always thought you know the versions of the MPG that came after the revolution were excellent as well you know great great players. Albeit more of a revolving door than the revolution was, and you know, in my opinion, like I said, I, I did not want him to break that groove up. I wanted it to be Fleetwood Mac, you know, and he he took a cue from Fleetwood Mac to create the revolution because of the multi -gen gender and you know race group that it was. That was his whole. Uh, message about that was to put that together, you know, have that for the for the image of the group, you know, for everybody, inclusiveness for everyone. Right. That was, 
actually my my uh, previous show I did it's not going to air for a while but I just did uh, Greg Arico uh, sign the yeah. family stone and we're talking about how that kind of was a template in a way for the revolution you know with the multi-gender multi-race all-inclusive right that's correct yeah which which was a wonderful thing um so yeah um here we are the revolution is back together we're out playing um it, it's a wonderful thing and of course at the same time it's extremely bittersweet because um, one of the last meetings i had with prince in the september of 2014 he one of the, the first thing out of his mouth to me was so what do you think about if i were to put the revolution back together you think mm -hmm. you'd be up for it physically that's what he said and i went physically are you kidding me Let's go. I'm ready to go. Sure. I'm up for it. So that was 2015? 2014. 14. Yep. He, he definitely expressed an interest in it at that time. And I did not bring it up to him. And he, he volunteered that information first thing out of his mouth to me that day. And so I just said, let's go. I'm ready. I've been wanting you to do this for years. So if you're up for it, I'm up for it. And Bob, Bobby Z was there with me as well, and he, he reiterated that he was up for it as well. Maybe because it was a Purple Rain anniversary, maybe it was on his mind. Must have been. So, you know, we, we, we were in on that meeting, we talked about it, and um, he never brought it to fruition, though. And I, But I have a funny feeling that maybe once he got his uh, solo piano tour done, and you know, it looked like he was taking a break from Third Eye Girl and all that. Uh, I had a funny feeling that maybe he would have visited that at that time. That you know, maybe that would have been the moment to do the reunification process of the group. Were you communicating with him much over those years post two thousand? Um, not a ton. Not a lot, but every once in a while. I, I'd say that Bobby was probably more in touch with him even than I was. Yeah. Did you see him around sometimes, though? Sure. Yeah. I used to run into him, you know, and then when I'd be downtown and out at a club or something, he'd be there and I'd sit down and chat for a little while. And so, yeah, we were, he was always very nice and cordial. And, you know, you could tell he, he missed everybody, you know. So. And a, and a total shock, April 2016, when Ugh. news came down. Horrible shock. Horrible. He seemed invincible almost, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, of all the people that I thought wouldn't go before me, it would have been him. Even though we're the same age, um, I thought he was going to be one of those guys, you know, performing into his 80s. I really did. I thought he was one of those people that would be in some way, shape, or form. He was going to be working on something, whether it was producing other projects at that age or even still maybe performing here and there. You know, I mean, come on. You you look at, uh, you know, Tony Bennett is still going. Guys like, you know, what, 90 or 88, you know. Well, even besides that, look at all the uh, all the stuff George Clinton's done. He's still out there touring. Yeah, and he's seventy six. And yeah, I mean, there's just all these guys that are, you know, Paul McCartney's in his seventies now. You know, I think Mick Jagger's over seventy now. Yeah, 
all those guys, they're, they're going strong, you know? So, yeah, I, 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 I find it to be just so, such an unfortunate, uh, thing that happened with him and, and that mistakes were obviously made with his situation. Yeah. So do you think, uh, how good do you feel about what's potentially going to happen with his legacy in terms of the, the vault and the recordings, a lot of which I'm sure maybe you were involved with. Well, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that the people who are controlling all that will do the right thing. And it's so early to tell that I can't really make a judgment call on it yet to see what's going to happen. I'm uh, again, I'm, one can only hope that it will be handled properly. That's all I can say at this point. Did you feel like they did a decent job with the Purple Rain reissue? Yeah, I like that. I think they did a great job with it. Yeah. So if, if that has anything to do with, uh, I mean, if that shows how things are going to go in the future, then I, then I think it's in good hands. So when you guys got back together, um, I'm imagining that it was as much a creative thing as sort of a, a mutual healing process. Yeah, more so just to, you know, that first year of touring last year was just meant to be the kind of thing that, you know, we we really wanted to do with him. And because he, obviously that didn't happen, we thought, well, we should really do this for the fans, for ourselves, get out there and play. It wasn't about, believe me, it wasn't about the money because um, just the sheer overhead of touring and doing all that, it's not something that's conducive to making a lot of money these days. But, you know, some of the, of course, there's always going to be a few naysayers that think, oh, they're just, it's a money grab and they're just going out there to make money. That's, that's the furthest from the truth. We, we just, we're trying to fulfill something that had been neglected for many years, which was the, you know, reuniting, which we had done in 2012 for Bobby Z's special heart association events, you know, due to him going through, you know, heart disease issues and wanting to give back to the community that way. And then back in 02 for Sheila E's or end of 03 for Sheila E's charity event. So the revolution did reunite a couple times without Prince. And each time we were inspired to continue and made overtures to Prince to reunite with us at those times. And he just said no for whatever his reasons were. And then I said, like in the fall of 2014, he seemed to be changing his tune finally about this idea on his own without anybody, you know, pressuring him. So, yeah. So, so the band feels like we feel like other than the, you know, the MPG, they're obviously doing some things too. But other than that, we feel like we are one of the, you know, best people, group of people to move forward and kind of continue on with uh, his legacy for a while and, and hopefully release some material from the vault that we worked on that hasn't seen the light of day, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, when you think about bands like Queen and other groups like that, where they, they go on and play without their leader and then they bring in guest singers and stuff. I mean, you know, I think it's okay to do that. When, when you guys are on stage yeah. now, what? When you guys are on stage now playing, playing the, the songs, yeah. 
are there times when you're just kind of gelling and maybe you almost forget for a moment that Prince isn't there and it is really like it was before? Yes and no. I mean, it's like I said, it's bittersweet. We're gelling, but then there's that hole. It's always going to be there. You know, even though we may have a guest singer doing their thing, and they're very talented on their own and whatever whatever capacity we have them there. Uh, no one can replace him. He, everybody's an individual. And of course he was probably one of the greatest artists of the 20th century. Really, you know, one of them for sure. You know, he's right up there with, uh, well, to me, the top 10 that, that of, of, of artists, pop music, you know, put them in there with uh, Beatles, Elvis, Michael Jackson, you know, all those, all those iconic people. Yeah. And, to me, it's an oxymoron if somebody says, oh, Prince was overrated. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> And he was underrated, if anything. Yeah. So, so if if somebody's um, considering seeing a show that's a tribute to Prince, um, as you mentioned, the MPG is also doing their thing. Mm -hmm. What is sort of like the difference in your mind between what the two groups are doing now? Well, we're we're staying within our era. You know, we're performing the songs that we were involved with primarily. We don't we don't move into Sign of the Times, even though Wendy and Lisa and I played on those songs, on some of them. Uh, and uh, But the revolution was not really involved in that project. So we, we kind of ended the parade era, and we go from the early days through that era. And that's where we, we seem to be, you know, keeping it at this time. There may come a time, because I've made suggestions, I said, hey, come on, let's do like one or two off of Sign of the Times. Let's, let's go there. Because, you know, the MPG sometimes hits a couple of our era songs and there's that. I said, come on, we got to, <laughs> I think we can move up to that level and then that's it. I wouldn't go any further. Just because Wendy and Lisa performed on some of those songs as, as well as I. So we may go there. I don't know. But other than that, uh, I think what you're going to see into the future hopefully will be some some songs in the vault that we'll re-release, that we will release. We've already we've already been performing all day, all night, and uh, there there's another one that we're looking at to to play on uh, live. Um, I don't remember the title at the moment, but there's going to be more little you know dribs and drabs of things coming out in the future, and then once we we really delve into it further, hopefully uh, maybe a full album of that era, and then. There, you could, you may see an actual brand new collaborative song or two from the Revolution without Prince written today. I love the new music always. Yeah, so you, so hopefully you'll see some new music down the road. Um, right now we're just trying to get this, um, you know, touring thing kind of out of our blood a bit. You know, we haven't been over to Europe yet. I think we're going to head over there later, uh, early next year. Those kinds of things, you know, have yet to come to fruition. Um, in, yeah. in, 
in your mind, Matt, looking at the revolution and MPG, was there a particular strength that you feel one had versus the other was, you know, maybe MPG was a little better at, I'm not saying they were, but were they maybe a little better at funk and revolutions, maybe a little better at pop rock or where, where do you draw those distinctions? No, I, I think they're both equivalent to each other. I think we're, we're all equals on the same plane, capable of doing whatever prints through at us. You know, vice versa. No question. <laughs> well, that means to me that says world class musicians right there. That's right. That's right. Well, I always thought it was a positive sign when you saw that uh, Prince was starting to do a little more stuff with Windy again, you know, like with uh, Planet Earth. Right. And uh, I think he was on uh, Travis Smiley with her. Right. And uh, as well, it seems to be moving maybe towards the revolution thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, looking back through it all, is there one particular performance or experience um, that just really leaps out of your mind as, as maybe being the most memorable? Well, certainly, um, I thought that, you know, like the, that whole period from Purple Rain Tour through Parade, whatever we did live was really, you know, pretty amazing stuff and I loved having you know <clears throat> Eric Leeds and Matt Bliston in the group and the horn arrangements and stuff brought a whole nother flavor in there um, yeah to me all that stuff just went to another level too you know, technically and musically so those, those are my my favorite times did, did you uh, play on any of the protege records you mentioned the time and the stick were you on yeah, I played on I played on the first time album I played a little bit on madhouse and that was it and I, of course I did a madhouse tour right where I did uh, or actually the sign sign of the times tour of summer of 87 I was in the madhouse group with Eric Leeds and Levi and Dale Alexander on drums and we we, we did the like a half hour warm-up set at every show on that European tour and after show parties at clubs in the major cities with Prince coming up and jamming with us. Um, yeah, <laughs> pretty incredible. Mostly overseas though, right? That was all in Europe that year, yeah. Yeah. So um, my video is frozen right now. I don't know if you're seeing that too. No, you look good to me right now. Okay, well, I'll keep rolling. Um, there you are. So um, what else uh, were some of the things that you've been up to yourself? I know you have your own studio and. That's correct. I've had a, a studio in my built into my home. Uh, when we moved into that house that we built uh, in 95, I've been there since 95 recording studio under the name of uh, Starview studios. And I've, you know, prior to that, I, I was, you know, producing locally for a lot of people in the Midwest here and some some stuff out of state, but mostly in, in this area. And I worked as a staff producer for a local record company called KTEL Records, which Owen Husney, Prince's first manager, was working at. And uh, I did that for at least five years after leaving Prince at the end of 1990. And then as I moved forward with my career, <clears throat> I got involved with uh, a video game music company or a video game 
producing company and did their music for them. And then I got into, uh, you know, doing various artists over the years, mainly local, Midwest. And then as the internet became more prevalent and, and I started getting a lot of overseas work coming in directly to my studio so I could, I could work long distance for people as far away as New Zealand, you know, do session work for people all over the planet, uh, produce, write, whatever, you know, there were all kinds of things going on there. Uh, then I went to work for a company that produced, um, designed uh, video slot machine games for casinos. I started doing that towards the end of 08 and did that for several years. And um, about two and a half years ago, I was brought in by a company to be a consultant and then work full time actually. And that's where I am now. I'm in my office here in Minneapolis with MobileSoft Corporation where I developed uh, a line of Bluetooth audio products for you know, your phone, for mobile phone use, uh, speakers and headphones, and also a new music streaming service, which has been launching since July. And that's called MyMyMusic.com. And I am the head of artist relations for that company. And uh, we just finished uh, you know, working out at South by Southwest and presenting our company to everyone out there and doing showcase performances with artists that are on our um, platform. And uh, very soon we'll be forming a music label associated with the streaming service as well. So for all you folks out there, go on to mymymusic.com and download the apps or your iPhone or your Android phone and become a listener and an artist. Wow, that's certainly a uh, plethora of different avenues that you've explored over the years. That's correct. Yeah, I'm currently working with a, another local artist here in the just outside of the Twin Cities in a community called Stillwater, and she's a wonderful singer and young, young aspiring artist. And uh, that's about the, all I can take on my plate at the moment as far as working with an artist in my studio because I'm here five days a week uh, working on my, my music at the moment and, and with the revolution. So that, that takes up a lot of my time. How, how many dates uh, do you anticipate doing this year? Uh, let's see. I think it's about, right now it's about 15 or 16 on the books so far. But that there could be more popping in here. They're not they're not done booking the group. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Now there's about fifteen on the books, and there's another six or seven more. I think they're working on for the fall, like like late October through end uh, of January kind of time, February and into February. Are you guys doing anything special for the two year anniversary coming up uh, in about a month? No, the revolution will not be performing, but Bobby and I and Des and Gail will be doing a total of four Q&A sessions for audiences at Paisley Park. Hmm. Like that would be interesting. We'll be sitting there going, you know, <laughs> we had a great time with Prince. And he, yeah, he had a great time and he's a genius. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, is there we anything miss, else? We you... miss him. We miss him. Yeah. Dearly. Yeah. For us, he was, I mean, I told you 
some of the background for me, but for us, it felt like losing a family member. So, please, you're talking, you're preaching to the choir about mm -hmm. that one. So, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, anything else you want to get out there to the uh, fans and the the Prince and the Matt Fink faithful? Yeah, just uh, just want you to all know that we are dedicated. The revolution is dedicated at this time to continue to bring you his music and our music. So we're excited about that, and um, you know we're we're in it to to do this for several years right now. Just so you all know that. That's fantastic. We we all need it. We all need the support and we need the yeah. music. So thank you so much, Matt. Much appreciated. And uh, thank well, you so much for sharing that great, important history and, and all your thoughts and experiences. Much appreciated. You're welcome, Scott. Take care. With that, it's time to wrap up this edition of Truth and Rhythm. A huge thanks to my special guest, Mr. Matt Dr. Fink, a Vital Revolution band member and keyboard contributor to Prince's magical 1979 to 1991 era. That included his rise to superstardom and being acknowledged as one of the greatest musicians of all time. Also, as always, a sincere thank you to you, the viewers and listeners that support this program. Much appreciated. Be sure to look out for upcoming episodes of Truth and Rhythm and catch up on previous installments on funkinstuff.net, on YouTube, through iTunes and other leading providers. And we want to hear from you. Drop me an email at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know what you like about the show, what you might like to see different, who you want to see on the show especially. I'm hearing a lot more from folks and really enjoying all that feedback. Some very passionate viewers out there, so keep it coming. Lastly, be sure to subscribe. Go through the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube and subscribe so you'll get all the latest in Truth and Rhythm. Need that support. Show these artists and their great works how much you care and love it. Show the world that you support it. Keep the funk alive. Much appreciated. And so, as always, with that, this is Scott Dr. G.S. Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.